1: Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast that believes that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host for this week's extra show, Stefan Rolnick, and with only a few days to go until the deadline for registering to vote in the European elections, I caught up with Labour MEP and second-time candidate Seb Dance to talk about what he's learned from his first five years in the European Parliament and where he thinks we should go from here. We talk about Labour's manifesto, we talk about trolling Nigel Farage, we talk about where he finds hope in politics. Those two things are very much interlinked. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review if you enjoy the show. Also, don't forget to get your tickets to Progress Annual Conference on Saturday, the 11th of May in TUC Congress House in London. Come along to put your questions about the future of our movement to Jess Phillips in a town hall Q&A, as well as panels with people like Stella Creasy, Aisha Hazarika, Stephen Bush from The New Statesman, Gabby Hinsley from The Guardian, our wonderful chair, Alison McGovern, and loads, loads more. So enjoy the episode, review the show, get your tickets to annual conference, and of course, please, please, please don't forget to register to vote. The European elections are a bit like Game of Thrones. Your really nerdy friend used to be the only one who talked about it, but now you realise it's actually a huge deal and you feel bad for doubting them. Sorry to all the people in my life who I doubted on both fronts. But unlike Game of Thrones, the upcoming European elections present a huge opportunity for Labour to make the case for a confirmatory vote on the final Brexit deal. And one of those people who is making that case is Seb Dance, a member of the European Parliament who's up for re-election on the 23rd of May. And just before we begin, a quick reminder that you all need to be registered to vote. And to do that, head over to Vote for Your Futures website. That's vyvf.co.uk and make sure you're registered. So first of all, Seb, thanks for coming. No worries. Thanks for having me. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and we've just got the news from (laughs) Labour's NEC, I was going to ask, that our manifesto, we've got the manifesto language, and there's talk of backing an option of a public vote, um, rather than what some wanted as a more unequivocal um, statement to do so. This is really complicated. I mean, how are you feeling? What, do you want to say to activists who are unsure of what to make of this and also voters who are unsure of what to make? Sure, sure,
0: sure. Well, I mean, look, first let's look at the positives, and there are many positives. This is the first time there's a commitment to uh, have the option of a public vote in a manifesto. That's very important. Secondly, it's a reaffirmation of the conference, uh, the policy set at conference, which let's not forget was a bit of a battle um, I think it's daft of us to try and pretend there isn't a divide in the party. I think it's a divide that's more 80-20, incidentally, than 50-50, um, but it's a divide nonetheless. The country's also split, so you could also argue that in terms of a movement we're much more representative of the country at large. I wish the country was split 80-20 in the same way in a party, where that would be a split that I think <laughs> a bit more work uh, to we, do we, on that. Yeah, exactly. But look, I think... I am obviously disappointed that we haven't got a commitment for a public vote on any outcome, because frankly, that is what had been said repeatedly, not least at London's Labour conference, which was only a few months ago now, uh, by the shadow foreign secretary. I had no reason to doubt that that's not the position that she's continued to argue and many others in the shadow cabinet continue to argue. And it's certainly the position that I will continue to argue Put simply, I don't think that anything that comes out of this process can have longevity or sustainability unless it's put to a public vote. So yes, um, you know the manifesto doesn't go far enough, but it's it's there. It's an option, uh, and it won't stop me and others like me saying that we need to go further. Cool. And so your message to you know activists like us who are thinking about heading out onto the doorstep this Saturday, um, you know,
1: what is a rallying cry? About? Yeah.
0: Firstly, do that. Secondly, <laughs> uh, look, Labour's the only party that can beat Farage. Uh, And there is an excellent PES manifesto, an excellent PES manifesto. And ultimately this, that's the party of European socialists. Uh, (laughs) um, Ultimately, this is about the future of Europe. We're standing as part of a coalition of sister parties in 28 member states, all looking to create better rights at work, uh, stronger um, uh, 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 fight against climate change. You know, we've got a climate emergency coming up we can't do that. We can't have any levers on the, uh, on on the things that will influence that outside the European union. Um, So, you know, There is a strong socialist, progressive uh, family of sister parties out there that we're a part of. And voting anything other than Labour won't help the future of Europe. You mentioned Nigel Farage
1: there. And obviously um, you went viral a few (laughs) months ago uh, for listeners who haven't seen that. Um, Seb was sitting behind Nigel Farage as he gave a speech (laughs) in the European Parliament and held up a sign um, behind behind him saying he's lying to you. Um, firstly, thanks. for <laughs> um, But I wanted to ask you, because this is something that the Democrats in America are discussing right now, isn't it? What's the best way to take on these people? What's yeah. the best way to take on Trump? And obviously you picked a way that kind of worked rather well in some ways. Are we learning the
0: best way to take on these people? Because sometimes I feel like, you know, we're still not sure. Yeah, um, I think we are gradually. I think that others are making mistakes for us. Uh, so it's a kind of combination. I think, for instance, if you look at the center right, Uh, across Europe, I think it's making the same mistake that the Tories are making here, which is to try and out-populist, out-nationalist people like Farage or... Um, uh, uh, you know, the, the the Vox party in Spain or, or the Front National in France, and the AfD in Germany, and so on and so forth. Um, and they're failing. Their support is dwindling as a result. And what we need to do is not fall into that same trap of trying to chase that vote, because ultimately people will always go for the more authentic version. They'll go for, if you want nationalism, you don't vote Labour or Tory, you vote for Farage. And, and that's, you know, that's it, it, that part of it isn't rocket science. But the bit that I think we found really hard, is talking to people actually about the concerns that they're actually facing on a day-to-day basis in terms that relate to them, rather than kind of coming up with convoluted ways of either trying to avoid the issue or, or saying somehow that uh, that the issue isn't relevant. Um, and I think the problem what we've got at the moment is that the, the nationalists and the populists, they identify the problems and they go for the emotional. You know, they, they, people seek something that is comforting and reassuring. And at the moment, the nationalists are the ones offering that, and we're not. Because... I mean, and I agree, I think, you know, I'm I'm not
1: convinced, and I understand why people fall down differently on this, but I'm not personally convinced that a soft Brexit within the customs union and single market will take the far right off the streets. And I think that's a really, you know, mistaken assumption. But you mentioned the emotional argument. I mean, what is our emotional case? Because that's something that people say we didn't get wrong in 2016, and we've got a new opportunity to make that argument.
0: Yeah, well, what's happening at the moment? You have climate change, you have technological change, and both of these things are very frightening. In fact, nobody really knows where any of this is going to end up. So people latch on to messages that say, look, I'm offering you security. I'm offering you a return to something that feels comfortable. And we have to be out there and explaining that actually there is an incredibly exciting future out there if we're open and honest about the opportunities and open and honest about the drawbacks as well. Look, shifting to low carbon uh, technologies, changing our dependency on fossil fuels. All of these are really exciting, but they're frightening for people because you know ultimately it means a complete change in the way in which we live and do things. But we've got to grasp that nettle and we've got to give the positive alternatives because otherwise we just let the nationalists write the narrative and they blame it all on immigrants or people with a different skin color or religion or whatever. And that way lies ruin. So can you give us
1: a sense because um, leading up to this, the decision on this manifesto, um, the Labour Say campaign and Progress put out our four things mm. that we wanted. We want them to Back a public vote on any mm. Brexit deal. We wanted them to campaign for a European Green New Deal. Uh, we wanted stronger workers' rights mm. and we also wanted to defend and extend freedom of movement. You've all got all these excellent different, things and yeah, credit you to you much. guys. <laughs> so, I mean, give our listeners a sense you know, if they're voting for you and campaigning for you, what are your when you re enter,
0: hopefully, Touchwood European <laughs> Parliament?
1: What is it? What cases are you going to be making? What's your priorities?
0: What are you going to be pushing for? Well, you pretty much said them. I mean, and I'm not just saying that because yeah. they're your priorities. <laughs> I mean, that they are my priorities. I mean, for a start, um, the party has sort of tacitly been against free movement for a, a few years now. Well, I haven't, mm-hmm. um, and nor have I. Don't think the majority of our activists. Um, and I'm not going to stop making a case for free. In fact, I don't. I don't just think it's a good thing and a nice thing to have. I think it's essential for our future prosperity. So. Yes. Freedom of movement. Green New Deal, again, utterly essential. You're talking about the need for huge amounts of money to be made available for uh, transforming economies, for a just transition for communities on the front line of this. Let's not forget, you know, there are many parts of Europe that are dependent on fossil fuels in many communities. It's pretty much the only source of income. We're going to have to tell entire communities to switch that source of income. It's not going to be easy and you need a lot of money to do it. So these are exactly the kind of policies that we need. Uh, and I'm afraid none of it, but none of it is achievable if we walk away from the decision uh, table where all of these things are being discussed and decided on, because they'll still be discussed and decided on. we'll still be subject to the rules. It's just we won't be there. It's utterly ridiculous. I mean, I think as we're
1: all trying to make sense of this chaos, a lot of us are going back and thinking, you know, what are our motivations? Why are we doing this? I know there's some days where I ask myself why we're doing this. I'm really interested to know, you know, from your perspective, why did you stand for European Parliament in the first place? What was it? Are
0: we talking back in 2013? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, ultimately, I felt and still feel that the levers that we have at our disposal that will actually make people's lives better, the kind of forums that we rely on, to make the decisions to make people's lives better are no longer just at a national level, they're international. And the European Union has many flaws, but actually it's the most democratic, transparent and effective uh, union of countries designed to produce results on those kind of decisions mm. that affect all of us. So. European politics for me is incredibly exciting. It's far more interesting. I'm sorry to, my, uh, to anyone who's listening who, who's involved in domestic politics. I personally find it far more interesting uh, and effective. Um, and I think it's where the future is. And, and you know, to anyone who's feeling dispirited, I can understand you know, there are times when I feel like throwing my hands up and going, my God, what am I doing? You know, ultimately, we're a movement. We're a family. Uh, and we're not alone. We have that family in 27 other countries in Europe. We have that family in many other countries around the world. This isn't just about Europe. Um, let's not give up on them either. Because if we turn our backs on the whole thing and say, do you know what, I've, I've had enough, well, then what? Then what happens? Then then the right wins. Then you know the nationalists win, the populists win. We are the only ones who can take them on. And we can only do it together with our sister parties.
1: I mean hindsight's obviously a wonderful thing, but I'd be really interested to know because so much stuff has changed since that moment in 2013 where you made that decision to run yeah. and you know, motivations might stay the same, but obviously experience and perspective mm. changes a lot of this. I wonder if you could go back to that moment and speak to yourself back in time five years ago and you could give yourself kind of one warning, one pep talk, mm. one bit of advice. What What would it be?
0: I'd be don't do what everyone has always done for the last 25 years, which is triangulate on the issue of Europe. I wear a European flag on my lapel now. I wear it everywhere I go. My husband's from Essex. I even wear it out in Wickford (laughs) because for me, this is about not being ashamed anymore of being a pro European. You know, it is now acceptable for a British politician to wave a European flag and say, yes, I am fervently pro European and I believe in free movement and I think it's good for the country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't perhaps possible in 2013. Bizarrely, Brexit has made this all possible. But I would have said to myself, be brave. Don't Don't, you know, don't fall into that trap of apologising for for being pro-European because it will lead to to where we are.
1: And that identity, I mean, what's the story that we tell that kind of meshes our British, perhaps Welsh, Scottish, English identity and that European identity together?
0: Well, I don't think there's any conflict whatsoever. I'm a proud Londoner. I'm a proud Brit. I'm a proud Irishman. I'm a proud quarter German. I'm a proud European. I'm a proud Westerner. I'm a proud citizen of the world, Theresa May, if you're listening. Uh, so, So, you know, I... I'd I'd see no conflict whatsoever. In fact, the single biggest reform I think we could make to Europe is strengthening the roles of cities and regions because I think that's where many of the really interesting, ambitious ideas, particularly when it comes to air quality and the environment, that's where they are. I don't see that, for example, as a threat to European solidarity and integration. I think think the two can go hand in hand. And I mean, you talk really hopefully about all of this, which I appreciate
1: because (laughs) we all struggle at times. I mean, I'm also interested to know, if there's a moment you can pinpoint over the last few years that has kind of helped you to find hope, or is it like a broader phenomenon? Where do you um, kind of find that?
0: Hope? Well, I there's been so much that would have closed off hope in the last uh, few years. Brexit is the obvious one, obviously, but you've got you know uh, the rise of um, the IFD and the collapse of the SPD in Germany. You've got this the, the um, collapse of the Parti Socialiste in in France and this kind of bizarre. Uh, sort of polarization that's happening everywhere. And actually, do you know what? I see a fight back everywhere. I see a fight back. I mean, Spain is the latest example, but Sweden and and Finland, you know, there are at Slovakia as well. I mean, maybe we don't hear about a lot about it here in, in, in this country, but there is a fight back. And I think it is happening here as well. I think we've got the largest pro-European movement, you know, in the entire continent, for example, uh, here in Britain because of Brexit. So, you know, I think there's a lot that gives me hope. I, I don't know whether or not the... Um, the wave, the tide of of populism and nationalism will destroy a lot of this. I don't know how far that wave will go, but one thing I'm absolutely adamant about is that what happened after the war and the institutions that were put in place have been our saviour, and they have prevented something from happening already. Uh, whether they can prevent it indefinitely, I don't know, but I think those institutions have saved us, and I think we've, we can learn a very, very important lesson from that.
1: So just to finish off, I wonder if in a sentence, which is always the most Uh-oh. horrible question to Uh-oh. ask,
0: Especially a politician.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell our listeners, most of whom I hope are not in the fence, but those of whom, you know, after this news are, you know, not sure about that decision to go to the ballot box and vote Labour, what is our one sentence argument on joining us in that fight back?
0: We're all pro Europeans. Everyone on the list is pro European. We believe in internationalism and we believe in working with our sister parties. This isn't just an election about Brexit, although that's important. This is about the future of Europe. Let us help, help us build that future. And we can only do it as a family of sister parties.
1: Brilliant. Great rallying cry, Seb. Thanks so much for coming (laughs) in.
0: You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions. Licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks for our fantastic and long suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash free. That's amazon.com slash free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados.